Beast! Welcome to Robot Kraken, your standard nerd podcast. I'm Christopher McClanahan, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Tom Chiaramonte of the Third Rail Design Lab. In this episode, we continue our conversation about the Marvel Phase 1 Cinematic Universe. Excelsior, everyone! So, you have to tell me a little bit about Thor, how you felt about Thor. You know, I watched Thor, this is only the second time I've seen it. The first time we saw it, we saw it in a crappy little, like, second-run theater in Ellsworth, Maine at, like, 10 o'clock okay. at night. And so it was so long ago, I did not really remember much about it, outside of the fact that Chris Hemsworth is super charming in pretty much yes. everything he does. Um, I And it's weird when he has short hair, right? It really is. Because you expect yeah. this, like... Adonis. Yeah, he he feels like he should always have the Samson hair going on. <laughs> I totally. really enjoy Thor still. I still think it's a really solid film. I don't so, know. Yeah, it was uh, Kenneth Branagh directing that. Yes, Branagh directed it. Um, it's, I mean, obviously Natalie Portman is both her and um, uh the other girl in it, I can't remember her name, uh, Kat Dennings, are both like yeah, right. obscenely charming in it. Kat um, Dennings plays that character, that that role of you know the audience, the the narrative that brings you in, right, right, the, the typical person saying, "What? This is crazy!" <laughs> what, what right, doing? right. She yeah, says what I'm thinking. <laughs> Darcy. Yes, Darcy. And you know, I, I. I'm okay with Anthony Hopkins as Odin. I don't know if he's necessarily would have been my choice, but I liked him as it. Really? I think... wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Yes. So who and who? Oh, jeez. I'm going to put you on the spot. I know. I'm going to put you on the spot, but who, who's going to Otis it more than Anthony I Hopkins? I don't see Anthony Hopkins as someone that would have ever gone into battle physically. He's too refined for that. And Odin has to be somebody that turns into a swan and seduces people and friggin' pulls out the battle axe and chops the heads off of ice giants and that kind of shit. Well, certainly, yeah, but oftentimes the the actor and the physicality don't match up, right? Right, right. But even like like looking at Anthony Hopkins in his role as Odin, I have a hard time picturing him as ever being that character. Like in his youth and that kind of thing. I I don't know. I would picture somebody like, oh, geez, you suck when you put me on a spot like this kind of thing. Um, I've got two of them, so you, you need to catch up. I'm just thinking somebody a little swarthier, I guess. Somebody okay. with a busted right. nose and a scar that isn't the, the goofy cyber patch that they gave him. <laughs> Albert Finney. Albert Finney. I would, would, have been a I, I would totally of... buy him as Odin, dude. He'd be fantastic. Right? Oh, I man. think Albert Finney and, and his delivery would have been amazing. Yeah, because you could buy him as a brawler. You could see him as somebody that gets drunk on grog and beats up people in the, the meeting hall kind of thing. I could see, in some ways, I could see Terrence Stamp, but it would be a stretch, but I can kind of mm. see it. Yeah, and Brian Blessed's an obvious answer, too. Yeah. I mean, he's right, right, basically sure. Odin now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, obviously Thor. It's it's much like Iron Man. I think that it's over. It's overlooked now mm-hmm. for its <clears throat> contribution to the MCU. But it's Tom Hiddleston that 
Right. Which is did. so funny that he just became so popular with this film. What did he have done before that? I don't even know. Uh, Hiddleston, he'd been in a lot of stuff. Uh, my wife obviously knew him from a ton of crap before Thor. Um, he was in um, a lot of British stuff. She liked him in uh, Nicholas Nickleby. He was in, oh God, what was it she really liked him in? Wallander, I think, was the main thing that she knew him from. He had really hadn't been in a lot of stuff. Most of it was British TV stuff. Yeah, um, it was really Thor that just picked up, and it's funny that he originally auditioned for, for the role of Thor. Right, which right. <laughs> is just, just right. hilarious I, to I, me. I, it's like, it doesn't seem yeah right, but see at the same time. I think if anyone in that cast, uh, Stellan Skarsgård was perfect, right? He was so great. Uh, and, yeah, and Clark, and Clark Gregg was playing that consistent right. Coulson character. Although I have to say, you, you don't watch uh, Agents of Shield, right? But or you're I've not seen current most of it, the first season is all. But he, his character today is very different than he presents in the movies. I yes. mean, he is he is uh, director of Shield in the in the TV series. Right. So he is really hard i mean he's had a lot of suffering so he's very he still is a little whimsical sometimes but he's mm-hmm. very serious other times that but kind of makes me sad overall <laughs> well it, it's a good balance no no it, they've sold it i have to tell you they have sold it okay he, the, he reads as a real character not not just as a one note thing i think the one casting element that i loved because on principle i loved it but i have mm-hmm. to say it was a little iffy was natalie portman right i mean right she's she's petite and and she's almost uh expendables level pull you out of it like it's yeah. natalie portman right Right. you see her and you're but, like oh it's natalie portman right but for like <laughs> the little things she did like when he was like i don't remember he was changing or something and she's like uh, uh and she yeah. like looked at him that stuff completely sold that character oh, pulled is so genuine it was crazy to me that like the the goofy like embarrassed flirtiness that she pulled off with him yes. their charisma yes. was just perfect i was amazed I agree. and yes however in the mcu or no in the comic version of marvel today mm-hmm. uh jane foster is thor right right oh, spoiler right <laughs> spoiler she's right. thor and I don't see any. I don't see any inter any version, any iteration of the MCU where Natalie Portman <laughs> could don a bunch of armor and be no. Thor. Like she's Absolutely not physically not. large enough, and the comics can pull that off. Like all of a sudden, you know, you know whatever. She's, right. Here's Jane Foster over here as a nurse or whatever, and then all of a sudden she's this. You know, right. She's, she's a goddess. Right? Yeah. And I I have to feel like if you were to do a female. Thor in the MCU would have to be Sif. Like, yes. like she's the only, she's the only physically demand. Jamie, Jamie Alexander is really, she's taller. She's a little bit more uh, built and she just feels like she sells that she's a warrior. Right. In a way yeah. That, she's got that, that you know, presence that really does speak to somebody that's killed someone. <laughs> I really, really like her. I didn't know. I didn't know her before that film. I didn't either. I, and she's she's been in the Thor movies, and she's also been the the odd man out that had to go and be a guest on Agents of Shield. Ah. Right? So she like shows up, and she's looking for an Asgardian that's hiding on Earth and whatever. <laughs> she's like Sif walking around. They're like, "Oh my God, you're Sif!" That's you know? awesome. But the, she pulled it off. I mean, you believe that she's an Asgard wandering around, right? So, hey, give her credit. 
Right. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, I was, so I, I was yeah. really impressed with how much I still enjoyed Thor rewatching it. I loved the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. I loved how they showed him, even even though blasting a Midwestern town wasn't exciting. The the physical manifestation of that character felt very Kirby esque, and well, this it, was it like did. Right it absolutely on. did it. You felt like you should see the Kirby crackle show up on <laughs> yeah, screen, totally. and in a way, I liked that it was a little mis- Midwestern town. It added this this feel where Thor has always kind of felt like the the little low budget indie film of the Marvel yeah. movies, and I right. liked that the scale was smaller. It made the inevitable CG bust up at the end of the movie feel a lot more palatable to me it wasn't oh look at the giant scale of the whole friggin notable landmark getting destroyed kind of thing yeah that's true yeah which i i really think that they're that ending in thor even though it's virtually identical to the previous couple movies it held up better for that one yeah i can see that i need to rewatch it i mean yeah i the last i mean i saw the dark world and then felt there was very mixed although i didn't have the negative reaction to mm-hmm. it the way that uh, most of the people we know have just just completely dragged it through the mud i didn't right. have that experience right but it did make me wonder hmm, i want to go back and watch a brana directed version yes and see how it compares against the thor dark world version which was you know they bled the shakespeare right out of it and it right was just, you know, yeah. Anyway, so what was the last movie in the series that you watched? Well, there's actually one? still two more in the phase one. There's Captain America and the Avengers. Okay. So, I mean, the first, first Avenger feels like it, it's a whole other, whole it other really episode. Does. Yeah. 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 I, it, there were so many firsts in that movie, the, the CGI to make his, you know, like where they put his head. Oh, that was amazing. My wife was constantly a, like, Oh my God, I can't even tell. It's just crazy to me. We take it for granted now, but it was so revolutionary to take his head and put it on a skinny body rather than take his head and put it on a buff body. Right, right. right. He buffed out. Oh, (laughs) man, he was huge in that. He sold that movie. He sold the super soldier thing. He was just so perfectly cast for that movie. He was so earnest and like this pretty American boy. He was like exactly what you want Steve Rogers to look like. And I've I've often complained that the best Captain America uh, uniforms were in that movie where first he had his, you know, his theatrical version and he just put a bomber jacket on and helped <laughs> right. out there. That was great. And then his actually a purpose built one with the with the para, parachute paratrooping uh, harness. Yeah. Built into it. Right. was perfect. And then and then obviously the, the the Winter Soldier version and everything else in between didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, he sold that movie. Oh, absolutely. Rescuing, rescuing soldiers and fighting, like just rising up to that challenge. Oh, it was amazing. The one, thing that, the one thing that I've never adapted to, and I've watched it now three times, once with my wife and two alone, I cannot deal with the tech of the, of the Hydra troops, how they took the gem and they made those energy weapons. And so you right. have these like weird sort of vague, it almost looks like the, cgi from the 90s that the praxis <laughs> studio was doing like total recall where everything is like in robocop where everything is sort of this weird sort of uh semi-gloss metal right and energy like 
I, I did not buy those weapons. Yeah. If you think about like Hellboy and that stuff, I did not buy any of that stuff as being 40s. Well, right? and that's the thing that bothered me about it because like the Red Skull's car totally read that that 40s like sci-fi, movie sci-fi, like retro-futuristic vibe. But the, the Hydra weapons just felt like modern sci-fi movie type stuff. I did like I did like the fact that the that the uh, that the Hydra foes that he was dealing with were very um, they were almost like neutered by lack of imagination like they were like <laughs> they were basically flamethrower they were like flame troopers right right like they were just like they just showed up and they had the cannons <laughs> and they were in their suits and to me that felt very uh, honest as yeah. a application as an application of that um uh, this new uh, this new energy source whatever they're going to apply to the soldiers so they're going to make you know the the, the storm world war II version of just stormtroopers right? <laughs> right and i i like that when they're all surround him and everything i, I that part i really related to what yeah. i didn't like was you know you and i can imagine a million different ways to make a you know World War II era weaponry that right. has an energy source that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. That you would make some sort of amalgamation. Like even if the barrel and the delivery system of the energy was very modern because it was this technology that they'd never used before that they're basically just letting it create itself. Right. Right. It should still have a uh an interface with the humans that was forties era. Right. right. Yeah. They needed some clanky janky aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I in in my mind, it was just like it was a. I don't know how you would do it. To me, they should have pulled back and have been that they were bathing their Nazi super soldiers in this stuff, and they were just going out there all crazy. I'd be totally down with fighting. that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, to me, uh, weaponizing it didn't work because you just couldn't. The the whole reason why Jules Verne stuffs as we've seen it interpreted in film and and in imagery works is that it looks like the science fiction of the day right imagine the future would look like and so today <laughs> it's dated but it works there it looked like they just got contemporary sci-fi stuff <laughs> right it didn't to me it didn't work yeah yeah and and it was kind of the plus of that film is that that aspect of it wasn't a deal breaker it didn't mm -hmm. work, but it didn't like totally take you out of the film per se, unless you're a tech geek like you. Yeah. <laughs> like it was something I, I was definitely a, I noticed. Was techie, no, but I mentioned it to my wife, and she was like, "Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even notice that that looked off," kind of thing. Right. And the casting in it was just so solid. Like Kaylee Atwell's fantastic as Peggy Carter. And... Well, I gotta say, I gotta say, man, uh, you've seen me. You've seen me apologize for Agent Carter many times, <laughs> right? Uh, and that and that TV show, I mean, in and of itself, it's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. it, there's nothing like it on TV. It's super ambitious. It's a protagonist. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a protagonist female. It's not super serious. It's a little bit whimsical and random. They had a musical episode. It's very oh, that's very awesome. very, uh, and and it, and it really invests in period stuff. So it's. Mm -hmm. Someone like me, it's just like it's designed for me. Now, granted, right. had it been on HBO, I would have liked it more. It would have right. been more visceral than it was. It's an ABC thing. So right. it's, you know, it has that sort of artifice to it. But <laughs> what sells it is uh, Haley Atwell. She's she, just, this, she feels like she walked out of a 40s program. It's amazing. She never, 
I mean, she's done stuff before these movies right. and this show, but it, it was nothing like this. In fact, it wasn't even very, you know, very well-regarded stuff. I mean, she was right. just sort of middle of the road. Her Peggy Carter in First Avengers completely sold that relationship in a way that I didn't think was going to happen. Do you remember when he comes out? Remember when he comes out of the thing and it was just like uh, Natalie Portman? Like she, he comes right. out of the thing and she's like, she touches okay. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god! It was just so, it was perfect. It's exactly what somebody would be in that respect. And I liked that, like the the little short. Did you have you watched the the one shot with her in it? Oh yeah. And where she she has the picture of him pre super soldier serum on her desk. I loved that little touch. It was just so great. And that short is what sold them on the series, but it's not in continuity that they pulled it Uh, out and made the series. But that short sold so much about that character. It was so good. Just to find her. Although, I mean, I have to tell you, you haven't seen any of that series, right? No, I have not. I need to see it, but I haven't seen it. I mean, it's it's through both seasons that she's the sexism and everything with this. She's discounted for being right. who she is. But yeah, you know, here's someone who is supposedly fighting alongside Captain America and and a major player in the war, and yet she's marginalized. Bring coffee, <laughs> right? War, which is which actually directly parallels what happened to women after World War II, where they've been, right. you know building munitions and, right. and filling all these roles and then people and then all the soldiers come back and all of a sudden it's like okay now go get my coffee yeah right, right. go make so me a sandwich yeah yeah and it's a great i mean it's a great uh metaphor for that well i guess it's not even a metaphor it's very literal <laughs> right <But laughs> she Haley atwell just brought something to that character she has something in her eyes and her mannerism that that you buy that he would go down in the Arctic yeah, with this incredible surge of emotion at all he ever got to do was like a, the briefest kiss with her. Right. And that's it. And he's gone and they're going to both of those, he would spend his last minutes and then she would spend her whole life pining for him. Even right. Through other marriage, another marriage and everything else. You bought that. You well, bought and it. I just, right? I buy her like 100% as somebody from that era too, which I just adore. I, I love that, that era of film and she looks like somebody that could show up on one of the movies from that time frame. And you see this a lot more in the series than in the movies, but because in the series she wears a, a number of civilian outfits and she's wearing the A-line skirts and these really really uh, uh, vibrant dresses and whatever else. And yet at the same time, she's doing all her espionage stuff in them. Right. That's awesome. But even in that, but even in, in first Avenger, when she's mostly in drab, I loved when they attacked Erskine's lab and then she runs out into the street and she's right. firing at the car. Right. Like she's the one that's doing that. Not even the other guys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She was pretty amazing. So to me, uh, she she was the standout of that film. I mean, Chris Evans was because he he really embodied it and he did a yeah. wonderful job. But she was the, the she was the part of that. Whoa, she was the part of that, <laughs> that that carried over afterwards. And I thought, my gosh, what great cast! What a wonderful find. Yeah, she was yeah. They established such a great collection of people in that movie. I mean, uh, Toby Jones that played Arnim Zola. I really great, like him and things, and he was so perfect in that. Like, just this creepy little squirrely Nazi scientist. I mean, he was just ideal. Do you see him? Do you see him drawing? Did, did he have blueprints of his 
sort of the comic era uh, mechanized suit with his little TV screen that he would be in. Did <laughs> right. you see that? Oh my god! It was he so had that great. on the he had that on the table in that. Yeah. Yeah, they just had so yeah. many cool little in-jokes. The first Avengers is probably one of my favorite of the Marvel movies without question. Totally. totally. And I had forgotten re-watching it that it is essentially a period piece. I, for some reason in my head, thought that there was a solid hour taking place during modern days. And instead it's mm. like, bloop, at the very end, which I love. <laughs> which is very effective. It's central. Uh, to be in uh, Times Square. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To be inundated with uh, imagery. Yeah. It seems uh, like an Toby awfully Jones, expensive place to have a fake uh, 1940s <laughs> hospital room set up. <laughs> it was odd. Um, and also the way they uh, – you did see – no. So you did see Winter Soldier in that marathon or Yes. No? That's the one, that's the one that we later. stopped with. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that later, even though that's the one I most want to talk about. But you have to admit, they handled Zola's return very well. Yes, I love the way that they did that, yeah. So we have to talk about Avengers before we wrap this up. I mean, yeah. so much was done well, and so much was done poorly in that. Yeah, it was so all over the place for me. I, I had only seen it the one time previously, and it was in nice. 3D in the theater. And it was like... It was one of those things where I paid more attention to the 3D aspect of it than the actual movie and walked out like, oh, fancy. Huh. <laughs> and so it was interesting moving back into this and watching it on the screen at home in amongst all of the other movies because it, it really dropped for me. <clears throat> I had a lot of problems with Avengers yeah. and, and frankly Ultron, although I have to say the second time it was better than the first, but I think, uh, I realized this rewatching the second one, right? What I had problems with the first as well. I mean, at the time I, I came out of it and I think our initial review of it goes into detail about it. But I mean, I, I was struggling with the fact that the entire third act was them fighting drones or just, yeah. you know, Shikari by it was cannon fodder. They were um, their design choice was to neuter them in terms of their color palette and their right. contrast. So they really they really blur, and they were very well articulated. They were incredibly realistic. They yeah. looked great. Yeah, but they were just blobs, greenish blobs on hovercraft flying around. Yeah, yeah. And in comics, that in comics that flies, but in in the movies, I need personal con. I need to be. I need to see personal conflict. Right. And there's no amount of uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye desperately firing at <laughs> alien invaders that's right. going to make me amused by an alien invasion of Chitari for 25, 35 minutes. Right. right? They they chose like the the one antagonist that is it makes uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye almost neutered in terms of any interesting thing they can do with them. But they did well. But yeah. it was a little bit like, well, come on, you know. Yeah, yeah, and but, it's sad when the Chitari's most interesting designs are those gigantic, like, anime uh, Outlanders beasts that were super those cool. Those were amazing, looking. though. But, but those were super, they were the highlight of it. They were super amazing in yeah, scale. Yeah. Bought them. I loved how slow they moved. Yeah. And how they would just like, tear into buildings and stuff. Like, uh, the first time I saw that imagery was uh, 
Terminator Three, which everyone hates right. on him, which I like, when <laughs> he's stuck on the on the magnetized or something to the wrecking ball or whatever it is, and they're smashing him through buildings. He's, you know, just <laughs> right. out what the the takeaway to me was on both of the Avengers movies is that I'm too old for this. Right, right. like this was the kind of bedlam that the the nine to twelve year old comic reader loves, just crazy right. superhero, all out craziness. But to me, the adult viewer wants Winter Soldier. I right. wanted espionage. I wanted characterization. I wanted one-on-one combat. I wanted uh, stakes. Yeah. And while I believed that they were destroying New York, uh, just you take it away from Avengers and you make it just any of these invasion movies. Right. It could and be any. It's of very them. hard to invest them. Yeah. It's really hard to invest in invasion movies until they get to a personal level. Right. Which is why Cloverfield worked for me. Mm-hmm. Not not super popular, but Cloverfield really worked for me because you're entirely about the camera view. Right. Holy crap. You know, it's a thing. It's up there and I'm, you know, I'm dealing with it. And why so many movies that have like Independence Day style movies don't right. don't resonate the same way. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just like the bees in the swarm. Mm-hmm. And that's why so, like, like movies like The Mist – um, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen that, but that really worked for me where it's like a global scale monster invasion type thing. But you see it all from this one tiny little set piece. You see it. it see. They make it human. They humanize the entire conflict and it makes it that much more relatable and enjoyable, in my opinion. I don't need to see the big crazy like this movie. The ending of it in particular reminded me of a, a, a lot of anime I used to watch in the nineties right. when I was in high school. Right, sure, yeah, I could see that. Well, uh, I'm no fan of zombie stuff just because I get scared by zombies. Right. But um, <laughs> like I haven't seen all the Walking Dead and all that. But uh, I have to say, uh, another maligned movie that I really enjoyed, World War Z. Mm-hmm. I bought I bought that bedlam because I was entirely focused on Brad Pitt trying to get the fuck out. Right. You know, oh, hold on, I gotta stop myself. <laughs> he had to get out. He had to get out of those grips, and they were barely on him. Right. You really, really, really felt that he was just barely getting away from being smashed, and that something was missing from Avengers. And, and right. And there's no way of telling that narrative. A group of superheroes fighting alien invaders, you're not going to get that sort of personal narrative. Right. But World War Z, I bought it because he was running around right. trying to get out of Jerusalem, right? Well, running and it was such a, in totally World War Z, the, the zombies were such a, literally like a faceless horde. I mean, there was no reason to relate to those at all, but they made the peril so human that you could totally relate to it. I will say, though, that... What Avengers did show was that it is technically possible to make a group of very charismatic, interesting people interact together in a way that makes you want to see more interaction. Yes. Yeah, like Uh, I could have watched an entire movie of just them wandering around the helicarrier giving shit to each other. (laughs) The characterization was well enough. It was written well enough that I bought those characters were interacting. Right. When... Captain America was stern but a little bit prude and Banner and Stark joining together like they did. Yeah. And, you know, all that stuff really and then as and they expand upon it on the second one where there's the out the second tier Avengers that are sort of involved and kind right. of you know, I, the, that part of it 
was very Whedon-esque, and they and it was, and, and, and he pulled it off very, very well. And I that's what he does interested. better than anything, too. Right. That part I was very interested in, <clears throat> which is really half the reason why you read Avengers, right, when you were a kid, right. was the soap opera of the Avengers hanging out in a mansion together. Right, right? exactly. Yeah, and that's where I've heard the... Yeah, yeah, and and that's the same thing with the the Fantastic Four movies. Why those have always fallen flat for me. You read the Fantastic Four as much for the family comedy drama interactions as you do the cosmic madness. And yeah, I think and they did such a good job in this movie at making the peripheral characters interesting and vital as well like i i mean obviously we love kobe smolders regardless of what she did in the movie but she i I like maria hill a lot in it uh colson had a great role in this movie i thought he was just so good i do think that the the opening scene was poorly either directed or edited i did not feel any tension and I and I remember feeling this way that when I first came out of the theater and I wrote about it, I did, I felt no tension <clears throat> when the thing opens up and you know whatever they hit the cube and then the oh, whole thing and right. yeah. got to drive away. There was no tension whatsoever. And the fact that I mean I don't know, there's no reason to have Loki in the back of a jeep like really you know like not. there's nothing nothing about that felt right. Yeah, you could have simply had this whole base and. Fury and them walking around saying, well, everything's great. Everything's, you know, really evolved since the last time. And we're really right. in control. Everything's great. And then have a teleportation thing like that. Right. Or like, like somebody open. accidentally touches the cube opens. and opens it. Yeah. Right. Something opens, they grab it, and then they go, oh, crap. And then it implodes. And you know, right. like that thing, that 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 uh, mechanism we've seen in movies where someone says, oh, crap. And then... You see the big picture and something implodes. <laughs> right. All we needed. I said it twice for emphasis. That's all we needed. And it would have been a you know, a sixty second scene and it would have solved the same problem. We yeah, didn't need the Hiddleston, whole race through under- Yeah. They felt I really did feel like they, they shoehorned Hiddleston in just because he was so popular after Thor that they're like, Well, we have this script written already, but I guess we could use him as the, the trigger. He's he's the MacGuffin for the actual alien invasion. But no, but so well, uh, that first scene felt felt apart for me. I have to say, in repeat viewings, him tricking Thor into being in the Hulk containment unit in the helicarrier <laughs> and then dumping it was brilliant. That was really everything good. about that was that was straight up Ultimates, right? Mm-hmm. It was just shy of Ultimates, where it, you know, the question is Thor crazy. Right? Right. He's just a guy. <laughs> but 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 so everything about that was absolutely perfect. I loved all that stuff. The middle. Yeah. Basically after the intro, I was fine with it. It was and well, I guess the second act I like. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. The second act is but, really good. <laughs> but it was that for and also I think that um and I'm no I'm no fan of of beating you over the head as as an as an audience member, I liked him. Things be subtle, but I didn't feel like Whedon's direction, or at least the editing of the final material, mm-hmm. con, uh, effectively ever really conveyed that the staff with the gem in it was negatively influencing people around it right. and causing chaos. No, like certainly when he would touch the chest and they would turn black, that was neat, and that yeah. was a very visceral thing. You got it. 
But when it was sitting there and they would start to get edgy and start fighting each other, the problem with that is it was still too reliant on the viewer being familiar with decades of Avengers as being pals. Right. Or this is this is odd behavior. All we've ever seen on film is we got together, everything's cool, and all of a sudden we're bickering. Right. Right. Like it was not convincing. There were some very interesting things that a another maybe another direction would have done, where you see things like a close. If you think about like. I don't know, maybe the, the Michael Mann approach, mm-hmm. right? You would see a close-up of that staff just for like, I don't know, 20 seconds mm-hmm. just sitting there while you hear people starting to bicker in the background. Right, right. And then you start to see people talking to each other and maybe a little spittle on the lip or something. Like yeah. you see things that seem like they're not, they're over the edge. Right. And then you would start, and then a, a pan back to, you know, or like maybe they're arguing and then the, the focus changes and in the background it focuses on the staff. Yeah. That would have that would have told us everything we needed to know. That staff was influencing chaos and they were going crazy and going to eat each other alive, which right. is a, a classic Avengers principle. Which is the something, Avengers' biggest enemy is themselves. Right? right, right. And that's something that Whedon can handle. We've seen him do that in Buffy with multiple episodes where there's some sort of enchanted object or something. And it, it adds a subtle twist to the way people act around each other when they're around that object and that kind of thing. And it, it yep. does really feel like the Avengers is missing that aspect of it a lot, actually. I agree. So, I don't know... I, so when I repeat viewings of the original original Avengers movie, to me, I, I have to remind myself, much like Iron Man was, this is the first successful, isn't it? Right. The first successful group superhero movie? Uh, like, yeah, I mean, depending on how you define group, yes. Well, I mean, but, everyone I mean, working together. Right, with this many superheroes in it, without question, yeah. Because there's, yeah. there's been a few others where, you know, like... Uh, I can't even remember what the the one that they compared it to originally. Um, Certainly, DC was not com- comfortable enough with that dynamic, so they right. greenlit a bad interpretation of extraordinary gentleman, and that didn't work. Right? right. Oh, that that might have been one of the ones that they compared it to. Yeah, it was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I know they they compared it to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I don't think is a fair comparison. It, yeah. By any stretch of the imagination. Um, and then there's the other one. Was it Misfits or whatever it was called with uh, with uh, Janine Garofalo and everybody in it? Oh, Mystery Men. Hank Azaria. Mystery yeah. Men. Uh, you know, there there have been other examples of, of team dynamics, but they right. never worked. It's This is the first time where you bought them as a team. Right. In so much as it jumped ahead really quick and, you know. Yeah, they, I mean, in, in some aspects, I would say Hellboy is another – superhero yeah, team aspect but again you're only talking three people with a support structure behind them and then there's the and, x-men of and course help was dominant right yeah but x-men but x-men does not <laughs> does not no i mean I, I liked it fine but you don't buy x-men x-men is people a bunch of people standing around being told you got to do this together right uh, okay yeah <laughs> no other right you, you never buy them as individuals and in fact uh People talk about the singer, the early singer X-Men as being uh, fundamental in the creation of the mainstream acceptance of superhero movies. But the bottom line is there is very little characterization there. Right. It was uh, Xavier and Wolverine and everybody else was standing around saying, tell me what to do. Okay, I'm going to do it. Right. 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 And There's that not was a the lot same of problem with 
Like the the Fantastic Four was the other team movies that had come out prior to it, and none of them yep. were as successful as Avengers by any stretch of the imagination. Anyway, so uh, in repeat viewings, that aspect of it bothered me. However, I had to you know I had to sort of reprocess it in my mind and say, well, at the very least, this is the first example of where you can have a superhero movie, a team movie, and have it sort of make sense. But all I wanted when I was watching it. And I remember thinking this in the theater. All I want is the Avengers fighting a supervillain team. I want them going yeah. up against other other people with powers and going at it. And somewhat ironically, two Avengers movies later, what we're going to get is Civil War. Uh, right? Yeah, you know, and I'm excited about that. But in a way, I, I agree completely with what you were saying. I mean, I don't see why they had to go the Civil War route instead of going – with, I mean, there's so many amazing Avengers villains. The the yeah. the, the the villain team up where there's nothing. I mean, they've obviously seen great success in having somebody like Loki be the charismatic villain with a personality. Why couldn't they have done a super villain team against the superhero team? And you like both of them, kind of thing. I agree. Civil War is is hampered by the fact that it feels like the family fight that went too far that's right. never going to be recovered and it's like there's no positive to that aspect of right. it which, I, which how i felt reading civil war i was like oh this is terrible <laughs> like how are they ever and, and in comics world it's like you know 10 issues later everyone's hanging out eating or playing baseball yeah together but in the cinematic universe it's like how do you go back from that it's just right. like a real civil war. it's like how do you go back from brother against brother right right uh yeah, I just I don't know. I so the, what I remember thinking about this in terms of the Spider-Man films when they first talked about us a, a Sinister Six film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not talking about the Garfield version. I'm talking right. about like earlier than that when they were just spitballing they could do. Uh, maybe it was like the Spider-Man three. Yeah, Sam Raimi version before I got aboard, and they were talking about how I was going to have all these other people in it. Right, and I remember thinking. That a supervillain team is very interesting. Certainly in my third rail stuff, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in rationalizing the supervillains and how they would, or what I call the, the, the sort of super gangs or whatever they call. Right. I I like the idea of of them working as a unit because they have a lot more motivation to work as a team than heroes do. Right. right? Absolutely. Supervillains are, in, at least in my writing, supervillains are. Heist. It's a it's a team of, of bad guys doing heist, but just uh, more on a more you know sort of dynamic level. But they have right. motivation, which is getting rich, right? Getting right. rich, not getting arrested, <laughs> right? So to me, I remember thinking about the Sinister Six as being this way, and this it, it, what I would like to have seen in Avengers, which is you enter whether it's a single character or multiple characters, is they deal with an individual yes. who, upon getting. Uh, interrupted sort of fights a bit and then runs away right and you're like what the hell is that about and then another one and then they fight him and then and then they and then they sort of decoy and they run away because it really is you're not you're you're on the edge of discovering that they're up to something much bigger together right. but initially you think they're all one-off things mm-hmm. and you're under you're underestimating them as well he's just robbing a bank or he's just he's just stealing plans to the you know Los Angeles infrastructure. No <laughs> you know, like, dude, I would kill to see a movie together. like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then we yeah. put this together and realize they're, 
they're planning something big. That's what I would like to see is the heroes stumbling across a much bigger plan and then finding a way to undermine it by getting at the weakest link in that group. And right. Basically just, you know, knocking one of the legs off the table and then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it would work. For them to be sitting around having having Stu Knight and then the supervillains attack the Avengers Mansion does not interest me. Right. No, but it's the it doesn't. Stumbling across something they never thought about. They never occurred to them that that the supervillains in numbers would exist, let alone that they would team up together. Right. Yeah. And I love that aspect. I, I like that idea of a film. And I I think, sadly, I don't know if Marvel's ever really going to do something like that, even though it really does make sense for them to do it. I mean, I think the closest thing we might get is Suicide Squad. Yeah. Which yeah, would be sure. interesting. It, it implies that the heroes are overconfident and, and uh, underestimate any potential uh, a foe right. Right, in the first place. Right. Um, it's one of the reasons why I was so excited about the slowly germinating Runaways project. Yeah. Because I love that. Oh, that would have been great. The kids of supervillains that run away, right? Yeah. I love the idea that it would be based on a premise that these villain, these supervillains are getting together and have taken over the LA underworld and no one even knows. Right. Right? That's like, it's like Kaiser Soze spread across the entire organization <laughs> and they know, but right. it, the idea that they would, they would, and they dealt with this later in the comics is so, so, you know, they didn't do a great yeah. job of it, but you know, sort of dealt with it where the, they get to the surface of, of the mainstream world and they go and deal with Ca- Captain America and the Avengers. And they're like, listen, our parents are super villains and they are, they're running LA and everything else. And Captain America is really, uh, yeah, really condescending. He's like, we need to get you to a foster home. Right. <laughs> They're like, won't yeah. that be nice? <laughs> right. And, and that aspect of it really, it really resonated to me as a reader, even though I was an adult reader, I love the idea that, you know, they really pinpointed the, the core of what makes teen peril stories work, yeah. whether it's horror or whether it's sex farce or whether it's, you know, sort of adventure stuff. It's always right. about that the adult community don't take you for – they don't take you seriously and you – and but yet you're dealing with serious stuff and you're just going to have to figure it out. Right. But in that sort of weird teenage way where you're a little nutty, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. People jump out of – they come out of the pool in slow-mo when you're in the bathroom. That sort of thing. <laughs> So anyway, runaway, Runaways, if they ever make it, if they did that, it would be fantastic. Yeah, and if you haven't read Runaways, you should check it out. Um, they're oh. out in trades, hardcovers. It's by Kayvon, who did uh, Why the Last Man and a crap ton of other good comics. Uh, that's one of my favorite. the art on that? Alonzo. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, he... Uh, he, his work is really amazing. Um, he sometimes it's a little bit uneven because he's yeah. one of those artists that I think was uh, self-taught. I may be wrong about that, but I got that impression that they were self-taught because, in some ways, stuff was really, um, really is Adrian Alfona. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Alfona. <clears throat> there yeah, are some right. that's, that's really, really, uh, in, in, like really great camera angles and forced perspectives but then other times you know 
whatever, like a profile view would be scrunched or something. Right. You got the sense that maybe the artist didn't have the full fundamentals when they started. I don't know. But who's to say? I certainly don't have. <laughs> it, well, and it, it seemed to really progress as the first yeah. trade in particular went through. The art seemed yeah. to get a little more solid. The coloring seemed to get tighter, too, which I really yeah. liked. And Brian K. Vaughn, I mean, he is a phenomenal writer when it comes to comics and well, oh, I mean, sure. virtually anything, honestly, because he's writing saga now, right? Isn't that what he's right. doing? Yeah. And I've yet to start it, but I really want to. It's excellent. I've read the first trade of it and it's so good. <laughs> and I mean, I, there's something really fundamentally interesting about that series that the only costume in that forever, the only costume that appeared was the, 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 the youngest one, pulled some bed sheets together and some Hulk gloves. Or whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and, and they played with that later on. I uh, obviously I'm three or four years behind in Marvel continuity, but right. they played, played with it later on that she showed up as in, in the future as, as a fully adult superheroine. Right. <laughs> and it was like holding her own with everybody else, but I don't know exactly how they got there, but maybe it wasn't one of those multiverse things, but yeah, it's hard to um, tell. Comics. No, I mean, every, pretty much everything about – but that first season was an example of where you invest in it by reading it and then you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're halfway through it and all of a sudden you're completely stymied by the MacGuffin at the end of it. Or right. like, you know, it, it's not quite um, Unusual Suspects, but the I, I really don't want to give it away. If people haven't read it, you need to go right. out and read it. but. There's a fundamental betrayal or a fundamental change in the dynamic of the story that takes you completely by surprise. And yet, yeah. once you read it, it's not one of those things where it's like, well, they just changed this. Right. Like it, no, you it can plays see it out. the it whole works. time. Yeah. Yeah. Rereading so. it and knowing what the, the, the twist is at the end, you can see how it was telegraphed at certain points that you're like, yeah. oh, my God, he knew this was coming the whole time. And it just really works really so solidly. And it's one of the first projects since when we were younger or when I was younger and you were a baby <laughs> where <laughs> there's a death of a character that stays dead and yeah. resonates with you and you never forget it. And it yeah. always feels like this sort of painful thing. It binds the characters together, but at the same time, it feels like real and just uh, right? right. And so that's something I that's something that I associate with like late seventies, early eighties comics reading yeah. where there were certain individuals like guardian in alpha right. flight who died. They just died. Right. <laughs> you know, and Jean gray, right. Guardian right. and Jean yeah, gray absolutely. One. Well, and this is uh, like, this came out in 2003 and I think had I been like six or seven years younger reading this, it would have really hit me hard reading this comic and having that happen because it's yeah. just, it's the type of series that you don't see a lot of, especially in that time frame, 10, 13 years ago. There right. weren't many comics like this out there. And now with all the, the indie comics, there's a few more that kind of have that same unusualness to it where it's not like right. your standard big three comic. But especially for Marvel to have put this out back in 2003, it's, it's fantastic stuff. Along with, uh, there was an independent comic from a, what's it called? Lone Star Press called uh, Pantheon. Did you ever read that? No, I haven't. So this series, along with Pantheon and one or two others, re and uh, Strike Force Moratori from the oh, 80s. Oh, yeah. From Marvel. Yeah. Really, 
wrongly influenced how I wrote all of the third rail universe timeline stuff. Okay. It was about this, this very personal, uh, and very sort of finite, uh, vulnerable approach to having superpowers and fighting these battles. Right. right Strike force moratory was all about being these people being manufactured, manufactured superheroes <laughs> right. to fight a alien invasion. But the whole idea was that they had a, plus or minus one year span before their powers would, yeah, they're disposable. They would have a mel- yeah. reactor meltdown and the, and the, and the military establishment that was churning them out didn't care. It was sort right. of like, you know, you know, and, and obviously that's a metaphor for military and how, you know, young soldiers are treated in wartime, but that aspect came into third rail very clearly. Right. right. The idea that they're being manufactured, first of all, and had a persona and a costume and a, you know, this whole thing was just a marketing department put it together. That was right. straight out of Strike Force Moratory, Carl Potts, right? And then, <laughs> right. and then who I met finally. <laughs> so when I was young, was the only creators that I ever met. It was one of the ones that really influenced me. So that was really exciting. That so was really awesome. <laughs> and the, the 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 limited lifespan that they had, and the fact that they never knew at any time that they would go out, was really interesting to me. And, you know, coming forward to something like Runaways, I love the idea that uh, they're coming from an establishment that no one understands, right? right? Their parents own the underworld and that by running away, they've got no one. It was such – I mean, Runaway is a very loaded term, but it was so well applied here because, you know, you watch any Law and Order and, you know, it's got kids that have run away from a terrible home, but they're out of the system and – they can't go to law enforcement because they think they're going to be sent back to their terrible parents. And so exactly. they end up in these horrible circumstances. Well, look at these guys. They run away from supervillain parents who look perfect <laughs> on the outside, right? They're like right. staples in the community, right? Like, right. you know, <laughs> donors and things, very, very civilized. It's like if the Waynes were like supervillains <laughs> on the other side, right? That's how it was. Yeah. And yet, so it's like they ran away and it's like, and they, and, the fact that their parents completely owned the underworld made them feel like they couldn't trust any adult. Right. Because if, if all the other adults bought the parents' is bullshit, ow, then <laughs> who are they going to go to? Right. And then when they do finally talk to the Avengers and they're told to go to a foster home, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. So I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a great series. Uh, it's definitely worth picking up if you can track it down. I imagine it's a little difficult, but it can't be impossible. I mean, Vaughn's you know, writing sorry. Saga, so I imagine most of his stuff is fairly easy to track down. Okay, well, that was your phase one. Yes, that was <laughs> phase one, and I think we will address phase two in a later episode. So, I you, in your uh, in your other podcast, which was uh, you know Deeply Dapper Dispatchers, you guys talked quite a bit about X-Files 5 and 6, and, yes. and your impressions wrapping it up, and what really surprised me in what you said was that you loved episode five, at least relative to episode six. Yes. And while I felt like episode six was a real mess, that they mm. were trying to squeeze a whole season's worth of crap into one oh, episode. Yeah. And it, at least. Felt, <laughs> yeah. And it felt really heavy handed. It just yeah. happened all at once. It was just like, you know, it, it, yeah, very uneven. Uh, yeah. Like, they, they tried to cram five. an entire world spanning, like, disease thing into seven minutes of story time <laughs> yeah but at the same time i have to tell you uh that episode five just i couldn't even deal 
you seem to have appreciated a lot more than I, I did. liked one scene in episode five. <laughs> yeah, the, the the lone gunman, right? Right. Right. I mean, that's the fan, but that was straight up uh, fanfic, right? Right. Yeah. That was absolutely. straight up fanfic. It was yeah. like, here they are. And we've talked about other recent projects that are straight up fanfic where you're like, well, right. that's just giving everybody what they wanted. Just pure fan service. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was that moment. But that whole episode was so on the nose it was. and just and like very... everything I hoped they would do with it. They didn't do. And they went with the obvious stupid thing to do instead. I just, I was sure at some point down that line, it wasn't going to be terrorists. Yeah, I, just, I was so shocked. Oh my God. How Chris Carter could go the route of, I mean, like, I, I couldn't even believe that anyone other than some sort of B movie schlock right. would make a terrorist threat be really a terrorist threat. It was so I was convinced. Lazy. In that open sequence, I was convinced that they were going in to apply for a gay marriage license and it was going to be a completely MacGuffin, right? right? A complete MacGuffin. Yeah. And then they just go in and blow the place up. And then I was like, well, clearly then the misdirect is that they went in and then the place blew up and we're supposed to think it's them, but it's no, no, it's them. No, I was so hacker. And not only was it them, it wasn't some X-Files thing where they like suddenly built up in power and exploded. No, they were just wearing fucking friggin' suicide belts and pulled the trigger. It just made no sense to me. I was noting when you were, um, you guys were talking about it in your podcast, and and I and I made a note to myself that we had said in our earlier one that on the basis of the previews for it that we had hoped that it was a uh, like an acid trip, right? Like it was a legit acid trip. That the reason why he was seeing, uh, you know, these younger versions, these weird younger versions of themselves, right, was that. It this complete hallucination and yet it wasn't no and in fact you know she did a great job on six feet under but what's her name did not even remotely sell me on the idea that that was a real person she's like no i don't believe any of this craziness and then all of a sudden i'm gonna help you out yeah yeah like inexplicably you're both gonna show up here but we're gonna pull you in for different reasons and we're we're gonna do the most we can to keep Mulder and scully from actually interacting in any kind of real fashion because you don't want to see those two together why would you want to see them together what's his name the 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 Mulder of the angel light (laughs) The w, the WB, he had to be right. on the WB, right? right? Uh, he's he? he's actually the brother of the guy that plays Arrow on on uh, that show. Interesting. Well, that guy. Yeah, Robbie was Amell, the I think, is his name. Robbie. Yeah, he was the more convincing of the two. He was. Really when you consider the six feet under pe- pedigree, right? Right. Like, how did that happen? Uh, so that whole episode just fell really flat. And that whole thing where... Uh, Mulder starts line dancing and all that stuff. It was straight up Spider-Man three. I mean, there was no way around. <laughs> right. I love that part. Actually. <laughs> oh, God. That's like, the only part of the movie I liked. But why would that or be? Show. It didn't even make narrative sense. If I can channel my friends over at script notes, how did that make sense in the narrative? Like why would he was Mulder on drugs? All... Yeah. But why would Mulder of all people, fantasize and hallucination about being in a line dance and a well like and a my biggest problem with time. that aspect of it in particular was that like at the end they're like oh no it was a placebo <laughs> that didn't make any sense at all then it was like so yeah, are you are saying you... that Mulder's really just that batshit crazy 
and that's susceptible. Paranoia if they're really looking, watching you, you know. Right. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree with you. And and the other thing is on the on the last episode, which was just such a hot mess. I just as much as they compressed all that stuff into one, and they could have been in. I loved all the the idea of the individual episodes, like Garbage Man and right. and uh, and uh, and obviously the where the where human or whatever it was, right. um, as being great standalone examples of how X Files at its most eccentric were great. <laughs> right. The uh, the struggle, my struggle one and two, terribly named. Yes, terrible. Reminded me of the other half of that series that I loved. That I liked that narrative, but I wanted it taken seriously and spread out. Right. I didn't. I didn't need it all compressed into one episode. Absolutely. I just, I, I couldn't even, I mean, I, there was just nothing to it. The only thing I could find redeeming in that entire thing was that uh, the reveal that Smoky Man didn't fully have reconstructive surgery and he had a skull face. I mean, right, I thought it was yeah. fantastic. It was, it was effective in the X-Files style of, well, that's weird, random horror for no reason. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean. None, none, none of the rest of it made sense. The last episode in particular just... They crammed too much into too little. They kept the two stars apart as much as possible, which was the dumbest move they could have possibly done. I just, it, particularly for something that could be the last episode of the X Files ever, it just was just such a poor choice on every aspect of it. Well, but even if you were to broad strokes it and say, well, the last episode's got to be alien or alien slash human plot right releasing pathogens to decimate the population for no fucking reason whatever the hell that was all about well it, to me a much stronger approach would have been a flash forward right mm-hmm. where it's it you know, yeah yeah whatever, i would be okay like, with know, 60 that. days in the future and everybody's dying and she's like saying i can't believe this happened and then it flashes back and you see some of the early things and then right. it goes back forward to where everything's blasted. This was like – she's like saying, well, I don't know. This guy's got leisures that look like smallpox. Next thing you know, everybody's right. dying. Right, yeah. Just, and it, I, it, it blows me away that these were obviously all scripted at approximately the same time. So why weren't there signs of people getting sick from the very first episode? Right. What an, a great opportunity would have been that would people been were fantastic. starting to have flu. What yeah, like like even like the Wear Monster episode where he walks in to get a job at the cell phone store, it could be like, oh well, everybody's getting sick. Here's a job, Wear Lizard. And I, agree. I totally agree. Yeah, it would have made that's such a the, big difference to me. That's the promise of Lost lo- that has been lost <laughs> on this project, right? The idea that you would link all those things together. Yeah, I, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, Everything about the way that this was structured didn't feel connected at all. Right. Uh, and and as often, I think, since this has been re- released, as often the case, people are saying, Chris Carter needs to give this up. Right. And let some of these other creators that shine so much on X-Files take the reins. Right. And he can write some of them, let other people direct them and produce them and organize them and structure them in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally okay with that. Let him write the overarching plot for the season and then give the actual script work to Morgan and Wong and, and the other Morgan. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate reality that watching this, even when it was great, when it was great, it made me think of 
Fringe and make me nostalgic right. for Fringe. And then when it got bad, it really made me nostalgic for Fringe. So. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> on that down note, I yeah. think that's that's our review segment for this time. Right. Uh, I don't know. We had a few other things. We had some. We had some some other stuff to talk about. We can talk about that next time. Yeah. So, do you want to? Uh, what do you want to do? You want to talk about the uh, our 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 typical planned pun plan, planned plundering planned, planned pundering. Yes, our planned pundering. What's next for you, Chris? What what are you looking forward to? What's in your queue? You know, I have a few things in my queue. I don't have anything super like solidly set. I'd really like to get out solidly and set. see um Zootopia and yeah. uh Ten Cloverfield Lane. Both of those are getting fantastic reviews and they look really fun. I don't know that I'm I'll nervous about get Cloverfield. There. I'm ner- nervous about Cloverfield because I'm afraid I'm not going to see it in the theater and it's going to be ruined for me before right. I, I see it. Yeah, that's like my thing is like I kind of want to see that in the first couple of weeks because I'm right. worried whatever is going to happen and it's going to get ruined otherwise. Yeah, I agree. Zootopia is getting these incredible reviews. It looks like it's amazing. It yeah. Uh, you know, we recently saw The Good Dinosaur for the second time, uh, this time with both kids. And okay. um, it, th- that's like another one of these where people are saying, well, Pixar had a misstep. And that's, a, I think, a subject for another podcast for us. Right. But if that's a misstep, then the rest of the movie industry is in deep shit. <laughs> Sorry, hold on, hold on a second. Ow. Because Good good Dinosaur was very well constructed. I've heard it's really but, good, yeah. But coming off, of in, coming off of Inside Out and leading to Zootopia, from what I've heard about it, it sounds like it's incredible. Right. And certainly from the art direction side, it's it's it's, it's amazing. Gorgeous so. looking movie. It looks so good and the characters are so fully realized. It's just amazing to me. So that's definitely on my my list of upcoming things that I'm excited about, but I'm not super excited cuz I don't know if I'll get to see them before they get ruined for me. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tom? You doing anything fun? Like like me reading at the end of the year the 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 uh the big stunt in uh in crying game, I'm like, well, I'm not seeing that movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, like you and I are both. Oh, you and I are both looking forward to seeing eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah. Hulu. Yeah, I would really like to catch up on that. So that's another one of those projects for me that I got to wait for my wife to fall asleep and then <laughs> watch it afterwards. And I have so much of that that I haven't right. gotten to it yet. You need some way of watching a, TV while riding your bicycle to and fro work. <laughs> that's a that's a quick end for me. You have a very special <laughs> memorial episode of Robot Kraken. Uh, so the other thing is, I'm I'm four episodes into House of Cards season four. Oh, okay. How is that? Have you? Have you I have not seen show? any of it. I'm I'm not a politics person. My wife likes it, but I haven't seen any of it. All right. Well, you know, I'm not positive that you have to like politics to watch house of cards because you know, I don't like right. politics and I, I found it riveting. It is a riveting show. And I think you owe it to yourself to freebase the first, I don't know, a couple of seasons just to see <laughs> particularly the first season and intro into the second season. You got to try that out because I don't think there's anything like it. See, and part of the problem is, is I saw the first season of the British version of it 
and it's parallels it almost exactly from what I've seen okay. of it. And my wife assumed I was never going to see it. And when she assumes I'm not going to see something, she spoils things left and right for me. Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) Suffice to say, season two, episode one was such a slap in the face. You're like, oh, right. How could they do that? (laughs) So and then from there, of course, the problem with the series is we do that. Right. Someone who's a high level government person. You know, it starts to lose its reality. Yeah, it's only going to get worse, and they're going to do worse things. Soap opera. (laughs) Yeah, and he does things once he once he actually ascends. Spoiler: Once he ascends to the presidency, he's still doing under the vice president. Maybe he was the vice president at the time, but he was doing things that there's no way with the level of security and oversight they have that he ever able to get away with. Yeah, anything so, anywhere but TV that couldn't have happened kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, overall, it's still an incredibly well-scripted and well-directed show. And it's um, it's got a really interesting uh, tone to – even though I've watched how it's different directors that are doing it, and yet mm-hmm. they've maintained this incredibly consistent – tone um by far my favorite is michael kelly who plays doug stamper who's the who is a chief of staff in the beginning of it and moving around but i don't know if you know that actor but he is just the name sounds um, familiar but i can't place him he's he's really interesting i wouldn't say that he's in a lot of stuff like he's in you know some he's been in some tv shows here and there and he's been involved oh yeah okay i know him um he was in the dawn of the dead remake he played uh so yeah he, he, but he does such a good job on this show. And um, what's really great about it is it's a show about stillness. Yeah. And even though there's stuff that happens and there's the politics that kind of devolve and you have to like that or not like it. And it, and it's actually very complicated. It is in very in many ways it's the anti-West wing is how mm-hmm. I described it because it's, very, it's incredibly sophisticated in the writing and the detail and the nuance that makes you feel like you're seeing something real. Right. At the same time, it's not, it's not all um, – optimistic and altruistic the way West Wing was and it's still a democratic presidency right. so it is interesting in that way it's very anti-hero stuff it's, I'm not even anti-hero it's villainy right? Mm. but what I think is really great is the setting of these scenes they're very still there are many uh, sets where the character comes in and you're hearing things like the creak of a door because it's New England like right? creak of the door the clink of the ice in the glass the shifting of papers. I mean, these are sounds you hear. Nice. You're very aware of them because it's so still. Right. And, you know, people who don't like that kind of filmmaking, maybe they're not going to like that. But uh, to me, the atmosphere is a character in that show. Yeah, so. that that's really interesting. Actually, that more than anything makes me interested in checking out a few of the later episodes. So, yes. so that's that's I don't know. I guess that's what I'm. That's what I'm most um, interested in this time. At this point, is I want to finish that and uh, right, and uh, you know, right on. See what happens before it gets ruined for me, <laughs> right? Which unfortunately everybody's watching it too fast. So Actually, I, I have know. to say, of, of anything that I'm planning to plunder, it would probably be Daredevil. <laughs> are, are you planning to plunder Daredevil? I'm going to plunder kind of the heck out of Daredevil. <laughs> is he going to see you coming? I'm not sure. Oh, oh, you'll hear me, but terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's yeah. We got a lot to look forward to, and of course, I'm in two weeks. I'm going to see Batman uh, versus everybody, including Superman. I yeah. And when does that I come hope, out? 
the 25th, I think, 25th. or the, somewhere around there. Okay. Like that last weekend. Are you going to see it in the theater? I would like to. I'm going to have to see where things fall because that's that's where we're that's while we're actually at Salt Lake City Fan X, uh, working the Comic Con. So maybe I'll try and and then I I have like three days before I go to Boise for a gaming convention. So Boise for a gaming convention. I'm gonna have to see if I can fall into that somewhere in between, or possibly like do hit a late. You show and I saw the Martian on a Saturday night of a con, so that is true. I have a tendency on, although those uh, ape had some really short hours compared to a lot of other That's cons true. too. Yeah, I mean, we were out of there by like five p.m. <laughs> That's true. So All I'm right. gonna see well, what I uh, come up with. Do you want to uh, do you want to do our I blame the sea segment? Do you have anything? Do you have any Honestly, rants? Honestly, I really don't. <laughs> I blame the seas when we rant about things that we're upset about. And outside of me blowing my ulnar uh, ligament, it's which is just, <laughs> I, there's really, I mean, I'm, I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not thrilled about the fact that my country is tearing itself apart in these the, the basest way possible. Right. And that my spine is tearing itself apart. But uh, otherwise, I have no complaints. Yeah. Everything is fine. Right on. I have I have thoughts, but you know nothing they won't keep for in the next seven hours. <laughs> Tell me about your ports of call. Tell me about your con schedule. Well, the next con I'm hitting is Salt Lake Comic Con Fan X in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I will be there from Thursday the 24th through Saturday the 26th. They still have an assigned table location, so I don't know where I'm going to be, but we'll have our what month is that. Uh, this month of March in the year of our Lord, 2016. Because <laughs> we didn't, uh, that may be your Lord. And also we didn't even give the date at the we time. Didn't. At the we start, didn't even either remotely our... mention it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so at the end of March. Yes, at the end of March. And then I've got a Gem State Gaming Con in Boise, Idaho the following weekend. So you have to bring your own honey whiskey to Salt Lake City, right? I do. Uh, theoretically, yes. Beer is actually harder to get than alcohol in Boise or in Salt Lake City. That's interesting. Yeah, I have a project. I have a project in Salt Lake City. I was wondering how to prepare for going out there for that. Yeah, you can find alcohol. It's it's a little harder. There's liquor stores there. Uh, the the thing is, is like beers all like four percent is like no, the no, strongest no. beer you can sell. No, no, it's That's outrageous, foam. sir. Yeah. <laughs> not acceptable you just right. have to well, run a car and drive to idaho no hey maybe <laughs> but no but maybe you can crash right. on well, my couch so, <laughs> i've heard good things about your couch actually so uh i guess that's uh that's pretty much it for this yeah, episode i right? think that is uh we covered wave one i think next episode we'll talk about Whatever I just forgot what they call them. Phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Are that you gonna be able to watch it in time for that six-hour episode. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so. I, I we're gonna try and cram in the the last three movies while we're prepping for the con here. So I think that's what we'll try and cover in the next episode. I just watched uh, Age of Ultron again recently, like I told you. So at least I have uh, copious notes on that one. Nice. On the other ones, I'll just wing it. <laughs> Um, as we do well i for one i want to i want to thank our listeners for for uh, following along with robot crack and i don't think it's easy no um, it we're, probably we're isn't. sort of a mess uh <laughs> we're, we're neither here nor there we're, we're both high and low 
but and hopefully uh, we're fun at the same time. Yeah, yeah. If if not, we're bringing something a little bit different to the the esteemed world of uh, of international podcasting. Indeed, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's hoarseness. Um, so next week, I, or the next time we get together, pending schedule, we have a lot more to talk about. And, of course, we have this laundry list of, yeah. of other uh, major topics that we can hit. So It gets longer every time. That <laughs> <laughs> is the problem. Um, anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening to us. How can they reach us if they have comments and questions or questions and comments? Well, How can they reach the, you? The easiest way is probably go to robot-kraken.com. You can send us an email at salty at robot-kraken.com. Uh, eventually, we'll have Twitter. We also have a Facebook page or group. Is it a group? It's a group. It's a group. It's not a page. Eight pages are for chumps. <laughs> it's a group. I have a page. You shut your yap. <laughs> you have <laughs> well, a page, don't chumpy. you? <laughs> it's a, they're both a bit chumpy. <laughs> uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, my username is Deeply Dapper. That's also my username on Instagram, and you can find me on Facebook and DeviantArt. Uh, you can also send me an email personally with deeplydapper at gmail.com or go to deeplydapper.com. No dash. <laughs> no dash. Well, you can find me at Tom, T-H-O-M, at uh, thirdraildesignlab.com, uh, and you can find the webpage at the same address. Uh you can also send your passenger pigeon. Basically, just say, <laughs> "Look for meat," and then it'll find. Put meat on your counter. <laughs> meat, and, meat and bourbon. All um, I got is raccoons, so... Tom. <laughs> it's gonna be confused. It's gonna hit that. It's gonna hit that one point where it's got to decide between Idaho and California. And be like, oh. <laughs> California has the more deliciously cured meats. Screw these two yahoos. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, I just want to end with one thing. Um, we used to do a thing uh, on the website years ago, which was a fantasy film casting where we would uh, take a particular film, whether it had been created or not, and we would do our own version of that, yes. uh, the speculative casting. And, you know, at the time when we started it, it was on films that had been announced, but it had not been realized with actual right. uh, <clears throat> production. So I think it was uh, the original Batman Begins or Batman Year One at the time is what we thought it was, was the first one. So... In honor of this most recent episode, I'm challenging you next week or next time. You're doing this on the air want, because you're a bastard, aren't you? I want you. I'm not saying you have to come up with it now. I'm not crazy. I want content. I want substance. I want quality. I want you to do a casting of Runaways as a film, and I'll do the same. Okay. I think that's solid. So no pressure, but I want you to make some serious effort and come up with some excellent ideas, particularly for uh, Old Lace. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna be it's gonna be blue from the kitchen scene in Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. There's one in Jurassic World that's very distinctly always (laughs) minus the minus the nose ring. Right. Anyway, cool. So I'm down with that. All right. Do do your homework. You too. (laughs) All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye bye. We're locking the Kraken back up for a week. (laughs) It's moving around.